Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help you things understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Blackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said he who puts his hands to the pile looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the kitchen five minutes and you about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you doubt for me that I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're stuck at trying to reach, huh? But after him who's able to possess your father by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now, upon this sister's prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Somewhere and um, get your note out. 
pencil, you know, so you can take down some of this information that Yes is going to be sharing with you. Because that's what I'm doing, even though we're going to replay the show over and over again. And if you didn't get it, you're going to get it. Bart, I'm sorry for riddling on, man, but I'm so excited to have you on the show because I know this is what everybody's talking about right today. Lamont, you're too kind. And I would bet that I'm twice as excited about being on your show. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I guess we're too excited. We're too excited, gentlemen, everybody. So, you know, if we stumble <laughs> on something, please don't hold us accountable. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just adrenaline right. running. But uh, uh, Mr. Edis, he's a policy analyst, commentator, and author of Learning from Tomorrow Using Strategic foresight to prepare for the next disruption, like right now. Um, he studied the rise of Asian innovation, sustainable development goals, and transformative trends reshaping the world since 2020. He's also served as a non-resident senior associate at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C., and was named a distinguished fellow at the Asian Pacific Foundation of Canada in January this year, 2020. All right. In May of this year, he joined the facility at the faculty. I'm sorry, McGill University as a professor of practice. That's that excitement jumping out, um, Bart. <laughs> yeah, Lamont. I'm, uh, thank you for that intro. Uh, I'm speaking with you and and those uh, who have joined us today from Montreal, north of the border in French Canada, uh, and it's, it's a real pleasure uh, to launch into uh, uh, an exploration of some, some big ideas in the midst of this pandemic and, and maybe offer a couple of ideas on, on how we might come out of it in a better place than when we went, went into it. That's great. And for those that don't know, what we're speaking on is how COVID-19 changed our lives for good. Um, we're gonna go down that road first. So let's let's start let's start there. Um, Mark. What COVID has changed in our lives? My goodness! And uh, you know we witnessed it firsthand, and everybody has experienced it in a different way. Um, in North America, you know, there's been a lot of suffering, and it's been disproportionately, you know, disadvantaged, marginalized, poor groups who have suffered the most. Uh, the elderly, uh, especially in the early stages of the pandemic. So it's, it's been a tough time, and economically, you know, in the labor market, a lot of people have lost their jobs. What I do, Lamont, is I spend a lot of time looking at big trends. And um, after we get through this difficult period, I'm looking ahead to, to what's going to happen next. Uh, what are, what are uh, some of the things that are going to stick around after COVID? Um, and what might be different. And I'll throw a few provocative ideas at you just to start uh, and see where you want to go with the conversation. Um, but uh, just, just a few thoughts on uh, things that uh, went away in the last 16 months uh, and aren't likely to come back, or if they do come back, uh, maybe not in the same full force. So an example, I would say, is, is companies, big corporations that are ambivalent about sustainability and work-life balance. I think companies uh, have to take on more responsibility, care more about their staff, and realize a lot of them are burnt out and have uh, been working from home, and that's been both good and bad. But on the good side, they've appreciated the flexibility and time with life. So companies that are kind of indifferent to work-life balance or to important sustainable 
issues like the environment, health, and um, and social justice, it's going to be harder to to not act in these areas. And that's that's just one example. I'll give you a couple other quick ones, maybe less less serious, but uh, movie theaters. You know, there's been a long-term trend in the, in the U.S. Uh, where cinemas have been closing, and in COVID, obviously, a lot of them shut down at least temporarily. But not all of them are going to come back because we got into the habit of streaming. And yeah, sure, some of us uh, will go back to the movie, you know, for old times' sake. But it's not going to be like before. Uh, neighborhood mailbox is just one other thing that we were familiar with for the last many years. Uh, those have started to disappear with greater frequency during the pandemic, and a lot of those aren't coming back. So a lot of little things are going to change and some bigger things, like fertility. I'll just end on that note for the moment. Uh, we've seen a constant decline in the birth rate in the last six years in the U.S. And last year, for as long as records have been kept, we hit the lowest level ever. And so we may not see a, a bounce back to, to birth rates of, of previous times as people worry about, you know, will we see another pandemic or another big disruption that uh, could make life, life difficult to, if we've got family. Let me just pause there and, and uh, see what you're thinking. Oh, wow. Well, I'm thinking kind of like all over the place. And I think one thought that's jumped out of my mind is uh, in regards to this pandemic, uh, based on some of the things that we know that's occurred in history, um, why did it seem like this country or this government was so ill-prepared? Yeah, uh, I think we're going to be asking ourselves that question uh, for a long time. And it's clear that that the government at all levels wasn't prepared. And you could say that about, uh, you know, authorities, leaders in, in most countries around the world. And it wasn't a surprise completely that we were going to have pandemic. Okay. Uh, you have these epidemiologists, uh, health experts who for years have been warning of the possibility of a pandemic. Uh, Bill Gates, who likes to talk on big issues. He gave a Ted talk a few years ago and warned we're right. going to see a pandemic. And in the area, one of the areas I specialize in called strategic foresight, which is about trying to understand where the future might uh, go, uh, there was a study that came out 11 years ago sponsored by the Rockefeller Foundation where they outlined some possible scenarios for the future. And one of them was a global pandemic that would see governments introducing all kinds of restrictions, including on travel, that there'd be more government surveillance, and that China would come out of the crisis uh, better than most other countries. That was out of a foresight study done 11 years ago, and then we saw a lot of that come true in 2020 and 2021. So to get to your question, uh, we we could have known it was coming, even if we didn't know the, the, the date or the month or the exact year. Why weren't we more prepared? And I guess the short answer, there's a longer one, but the short answer is uh, a lot of us, a lot of us are kind of creatures of, of the moment. We have a lot going on in our lives, right? You know, we're taking care of our family and our job and, and aspirations for, for learning and growth. And, um, and, it's, and there's so many, you know, risks before us, just getting across the street, you know, or other challenges we face. And, and it's a bit overwhelming when we don't have a particular date in mind that a pandemic may strike in the future. How do you get prepared for something like that? Wrap your head around it. Um, and uh, it's, whether it's in the business community or government or society more generally, uh, we sometimes have difficulty in, in preparing for changes that uh, we're not entirely sure or disruptions. We're not sure when they're going to hit, they're going to hit. In this case, it was a pretty good idea it was going to. And I can tell you, Lamont, it's going to happen again. 
I can't tell you when, but there will be other pandemics. They may be more or less severe, hopefully less. And hopefully one of the lessons we gain out of this crisis is that we need to do better preparation. Uh, we need to be ready to pounce uh, and put in place measures to, uh, to, to limit its spread and, and get it under control. But unfortunately, um, I don't think they got the memo right now. Still, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, because if you look at what's happening right now, um, it's going out there with this new Delta variant. I, I still don't think they got the memo. Oh, man, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. With, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of the U.S has kind of gotten back to, uh, you know, life uh, similar to the way it was in the, what I like to call the before times, you know, before March of right. 2020, where we walked around mask free and did what we did. Uh, but the fact is only about half of the population in the U.S. is vaccinated. And the, there's, uh, there's now a problem of, of vaccine hesitancy. So people, for whatever reason, they're reluctant to get it. And that is allowing this Delta variant uh, to spread. And the number of COVID cases in America right now is rising, falling. Right. So today I can tell you there's about 31,000 cases a day. Seven days ago, 18,000. 14 days ago, 14,000. And about three weeks ago, we were seeing two, uh, 11,000 cases a day. So from 11,000 cases a day, 21 days ago, we're now at 31,000. And it's just as you say, Lamont, the spread of this Delta variant um, and it's it's challenging a return to something resembling normal. <laughs> yep, like I said, they didn't get the memo, and the ones that did is really not taking this serious. And yeah. uh, we're gonna be right back, we're gonna be right back where we were a few months ago, um, if not worse, actually. Yeah. So well, the, the so tragedy is, you know, again. What I was saying at the outset, it, the people who suffer the most from this are, are those, you know, with, with the fewest means, you know, to, to, to deal with it. These are, uh, you know, people struggling in, in, in jobs, maybe low-paying jobs without job security, um, and communities that uh, have been hard hit. Um, it's, it, if you've got – if you're flush with cash, you don't – you know, you find a way to, to, to work your way out of most any problem. Um, and so there's a great, what I'm saying is there's, uh, there's the inequality that uh, existed in the U.S. before the pandemic. It was made worse by this pandemic. And the longer it uh, goes on, uh, it's poorer communities that are going to suffer more. And that's, that's just awful. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, the, I don't know, man, I hate to say sound like I'm uh, anti-government, but it seems like the powers that be. Uh, aren't really thinking uh, beyond their playground. I mean, they say they are, but it doesn't really seem like it. Because like you just mentioned, you know, the people in those uh, areas, they're going to suffer the worst, and there's no way around it. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to make this whole hour uh, a real downer for those who are tuned in. <laughs> what we're saying is what we're seeing, right? You and I are seeing basically it, the same story. Exactly. And there's exactly. been a failure of leadership. And, 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 and just to, to ride tailgate on what you just said, you know, uh, it, it, 
if you want to be lied to, this is really not the show for you guys, you know, and, you know, I, I take pride in <laughs> the guests that we bring on, on the show to be informative, straightforward, and, and give you guys real stuff, you know. And, you know, if you think the truth hurts, I'm sorry. That's not what we're trying to do. We're just trying to give you really food for thought so you can go forward with your eyes wide open, not wide shut. So yeah. I just had to say that, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> So well, let's talk about your yeah. book. Let's talk about your your book a little bit, and then we can okay. go forward. And, and, and hopefully, uh, some of our listeners, if you have any questions or if you got any comments or would you like to join the conversation, please feel free to dial six four six nine two nine twenty eight seventy. Press number one on your phone, and we'll be glad to let you jump in. All right. I'm, I'm loving the conversation, Bart. Well, so am I, Lamont, and, and thank you for flagging my new book. It's uh, it's called Learning from Tomorrow, Using Strategic Foresight to Prepare for the Next Big Disruption, and it's part of a series of books that uh, was published by a fellow you just recently had on, just one more in the long series of really smart, stimulating uh, people with some provocative ideas that you bring onto your show, and I'm talking in this case about Tim Ward. Uh, of Change Makers books, and and he put together a series of books uh, trying to point a way uh, forward where we could start to develop a a better world, Um, you know, a more socially just world, where the economy wasn't just uh, working or primarily working for those, uh, you know, in the 1%, and also um, addressing major environmental issues and challenges, whether it be you know, ex- excessive uh, consumption by uh, consumers or, or climate change. And so series of, of generally short books right to the point with some clear ideas to, to try and generate some action. And so I was very fortunate to be invited to contribute here. And, and basically what my book's about is this, this concept of, of strategic foresight. And basically foresight is, is a, it's a way of uh, a structured and systematic way of using ideas about the future to anticipate and better prepare for change. It's, it's really about exploring different plausible futures and the opportunities and risks that they could introduce. And so using these, these tools and methodologies of, of foresight, we can use the ideas generated through the process to make better decisions and to take action. And we can ultimately you know, envision a preferred future. Where, what do we want to move toward? Um, and generally, foresight is used by different organizations. Some businesses use it, governments, uh, other organizations, and they, they use it in circumstances of, of, of great change, of volatility, of uncertainty, and, and trying to get an idea of what's going to happen in about 10 years or more. So it's, it's not for next quarter or next month. Uh, it's, it's a set of tools you're using to try and get an idea of what are plausible futures 10 years on uh, and, and looking then at what, what, what are some of these negative potential futures we want to avoid and what are some of the good ones that we want to work toward. And, and in a nutshell, that's what it's about. Um, about one out of four uh, Fortune 500 companies have in-house capacity doing foresight work. Uh, an increasing number of U.S. government agencies are using it. Uh, and uh, there are um, universities um, that are teaching it, like the University of Houston has a, a degree program in strategic foresight. 
And because of the shock of the pandemic and people were looking around at uh, the, the changes that we, we experienced in such a quick time uh, and, and were concerned, are concerned about what comes next, uh, there's been a lot of uh, new interest uh, in, in this multidisciplinary approach to, to addressing the future. You know, uh, Bart, again, boy, you got my mind jumping all over the place. Um, you touched on uh, the next question, which was this book for it, but actually it sounds like it's for everybody. And what I'm hearing, Bart, too, is that these companies and these corporations, they're thinking about what could happen uh, in the future and one way or the other. And it seemed like that's almost like a common-sense approach. If you're running a business, wouldn't you want to, like, uh, use something uh, like you're doing and I like the systematic approach and maybe everybody really really need to gravitate toward that part you know because as a business owner now I'm always thinking about where I'm going to be uh, in the future and what could or could not happen and what's been happening in the past that I don't want to see repeated regardless I mean does that make any sense yeah it makes great sense Lamont and you're, you're running a successful ongoing business, so you obviously have to be thinking about what could come next, uh, uh, good and bad. I guess the, the, the nuance about foresight is it goes beyond what a lot of businesses use regularly. So they, especially bigger companies, they have their whole teams looking at risk management, and they're obviously doing forecasting. So, like, what are our sales going to be next quarter or you know what might be a product we consider rolling out in two or three years. Tim, you but not all Tim, of the you, Tim, you yeah. mentioned something right there. The the you mentioned forecasting, and I think that's what I kind of lost too uh, in what I was trying to explain. But forecasting yeah. with thinking about the future using your tools, kind of do they kind of go yeah. hand in hand? They sure do. They sure do. And actually, forecasting is similar to. And complementary to foresight, which is what I'm talking about, the difference is right. forecasting tends to be more of a shorter-term thing. Uh, you can take it a few years ahead, but it's often like, you know, the weather service is trying to forecast uh, the weather tomorrow and next week. Uh, um, the, you know, the, the, the company, a big corporation talking to its shareholders, they're predicting uh, what their profit margin will be, uh, you know, in a couple of quarters. Um, governments are trying to assess, okay, what's water usage going to be like next year or enrollment in school? Uh, and forecasting tends to rely on historical data uh, and, and current numbers. So it, it kind of projects, it uh, extrapolates from what we've already seen historically. Whereas foresight, it does not aim for precision. There's no, there's no a single prediction with numbers. It's more uh, coming up with scenarios, a handful of scenarios of uh, where things might go, again, with a longer time frame, typically, not always, but typically a decade uh, on. And so you're not going to find numbers in the way of a specific prediction, but a scenario that um, can alert you uh, to opportunities and risks and what you should be preparing for in a scenario like a pandemic. And you, you explain that so very well, man. I'm so excited to have you here. So, so you know, Bart, what do you think? What do you, what new habits uh, that people adopted during the pandemic that you think is going to stick with us? Well, uh, I'll be also interested in your take on this, Lamont, because uh, you know a lot of us in, in these times have been doing a little bit of self-reflection. We've had a little time to 
contemplate, uh, um, especially in the lockdown period, you know, where are we in life? What do we value? You know, the things that are important to us. Um, so, you know, among the things that I think went away, and I'll tell you about things that are going to stay, I had mentioned about, you know, movie theaters, you know, not disappearing completely, but uh, kind of a down, a continuing downward climb or fall, I should say, uh, neighborhood mailboxes. Yeah, I, re- but, I remember, um, I remember, dri- I remember drive-in theaters used to be everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, they got a little bit of a boost in some places because it was outdoors uh, and some places were allowing them uh, during COVID uh, as long as people were spaced out, socially distanced. But yeah, it's, I don't see those making a big comeback. But look, um, you know, before the pandemic, the assumption was that if you're an office worker and let's keep in mind, not everybody works in an office, but there's a, a part of the population that does. There's a sort of this assumption, OK, you're you get up in the morning, you have your coffee and you drive or you know, hop the train or bus, depending on where you are, and you go to the office, right? Well, that assumption is gone, okay, because we have been working from home. Again, office workers, those who can, not necessarily those in the front line serving food, delivering haircuts, uh, health care, whatever. But for those going to office, it, we're not all going back uh, in September after Labor Day, right? Um, there are going to be new hybrid arrangements, and I could, I could talk at length about that. I won't for the moment, but just to say this assumption that office workers work in the office, that's gone. Um, long, pointless meetings. I'm hoping, this is a bit aspirational, that those are mostly gone because people had a little less patience on Zoom. Meetings tended to be shorter. They also tended often to be more participatory. More people could join in. And so it's going to be hard to get people to sit through two-hour meetings where there's a lot of blah, blah, and they're not well organized. <laughs> Something else? You're right. So, right? People be sitting up there uh, doing the meet and sleep. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, something else I think we're, we're done with uh, uh, is education and training without a digital component. So I'm not saying we're all going to be studying online, whether it's you know primary or secondary education, university or post-secondary, whatever, but it's going to be hard to get away from a digital component. So um, even as you know, most schools go back in uh, September, they go back to school in North America, Lee, uh, you can expect that uh, the experience with, with Zoom and, and with the uh, Internet and with uh, all kinds of other tools, including uh, um, uh, virtual reality, uh, we're going to see more digital components uh, in education and training. And maybe one other thing uh, just about what's, what's disappearing, not coming back, I'd say business travel. Okay, again, it's not it's not black and white, but um, it's we're going to see right now. It's going to take a while to get back anywhere near to the levels before because businesses uh, realized how much they could get done virtually. And right. if, you know, if you want to travel like to a conference or something that's in person, you're going to have to make a pretty big case because that's a big part of a company's budget. So some firms where they absolutely need to have interaction for sales or what have you. Okay, they're going to encourage some people to go out on the road, but I think a lot of organizations are going to cut back on business travel. Yeah, because it all goes back to that bottom line, the dollar, how it's spent, where it's spent. Well, and you, you know, you were asking also about, so what, what kinds of things are going to stick around? Uh, and I gave a hint of that with the, the digital component of education and training. Uh, telehealth. You know, we had the tools to do telehealth beforehand, but we were all accustomed to 
uh, going to the doctor if we had adequate coverage. You know, uh, that's a whole other issue of lack of health care for many Americans. But, uh, you know, for those who had it, they'd go see their doctor. And then in COVID times, we had to work remotely, right? It was either over the phone or over Zoom or similar. Well, okay, we're going to start going back to doctor's offices, but it's not going to be like before. There's going to be a lot more use of telehealth. And there's pros and cons to that, but it's, it's sticking with us in part because doctors like it. You know, where they're billing, whether they're doing telehealth, which is easier moving from one patient to the next, and um, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's easier for them to, to work their way through a call in some ways. Um, they're, they're content with that, and uh, health providers are content with it. And, and many people, you know, they've gotten more used to it. Sometimes they really want to see a doctor, but other times, you know, you don't have to, you know, trudge across town and, and wait in a waiting room with people coughing. Uh, there are some advantages to telehealth, so that's, that's going to stick with us. Um, and, you know, I want to try and focus on the positive. My, my whole interest in, in strategic foresight and, and kind of future thinking is that there's a lot of dark scenarios, but I'm focusing on what, what can be some of the positive things. And just talking about health a little bit, you know, and, and thinking beyond the U.S. borders, we've seen uh, drones being used more and more um, at, to deliver medicine uh, and to provide patient sampling in, in areas, for example, in African countries, well, in, in rural areas without access to hospitals, took off uh, during the pandemic. And, and that kind of positive development where we're using technology to help um, uh, address health needs, this is something that's going to ramp up. Uh, and that's something that really gives me um, uh, something, um, you know, to be happy about, to be cheered that, you know, human ingenuity and, and using technology for, uh, for good. I had a question, man. It was kind of off the cuff, though, maybe even beyond another page. But I was just wondering, you know, in regards to water in some of these foreign countries and stuff, um, with all the things that we see on TV in terms of bad water, I was just wondering, you know, we have the technology. There's desalinization uh, facilities on ships. You know, uh, I'm wondering why is it such a big problem to get clean water to some of these places? Yeah. Um, that's a, there's a whole host of issues there, and it's it's uh, it's a question that's kind of near and dear to me, Lamont. Because although I'm talking to you from from uh, a part of Canada that has a lot of water, I mean it produces we produce a lot of hydropower here, right? So the energy that I'm using to charge my phone to speak with you today is renewable energy, and that's something else that excites me. But not every part of the world has that. And you were really getting a drinking water. Well, my roots were in the desert of Arizona. That's where I spent my youth. And in time since I left Arizona uh, and, uh, you know, the Southwest more generally, water crises have become more severe. Okay. So in that part of the world, um, you know, you've had so much water uh, being used by these large farms and not always very efficiently. So they've, uh, you know, the, the Colorado River in some places is, is a trickle. You know, part of it is the geography and the weather, the, the climate. Well, you, you have, you know, you have issues of, of water access. Um, Climate change is beginning to have an impact. We're talking about clean water. Uh, where you have, for example, in, in South Asia and in, in Nepal, countries that have um, uh, there are uh, there, there are ice caps um, and glaciers. Uh, those are fading, and so you don't get the same kind of runoff and access to water. Now, in other places where you have lots of water but it's not clean, and this may have been what you were getting at. Why why can't we provide clean water? Um, yeah, from salt, a lot from of salt water because like. Like the Navy ships, the military vessels, you know, they're yeah. they using salt yeah. water. They're cleaning it. 
Yeah. And something like 70% of our planet is water. So what's the problem? You know, you're, <laughs> and, and a lot of the world, a lot of the world lives within, you know, say 50 miles of, of a coastline near water. Well, uh, the short answer is uh, it's those desalination um, exercise um, in, initiatives and projects. It's very expensive. It can, you can do it. Countries are doing it. You say militaries are doing it. That's right. Uh, but it's really, really expensive. So it's no problem for Saudi Arabia with its oil riches to have desalination plants, right? Uh, Singapore, one of the wealthiest countries in Asia, they're doing desalination, right? And they're also taking um, sewer water, and they're cleaning it and turning it back into drinking water. So um, it's the tech. Look, short answer is the technology is there. It's um, right. it's where where is the market for it? Can the market do it? The private sector and where the private sector can't or won't do it, is there uh, is government going to step in and do it? And then you can ask yourself the bigger question, Lamont, is you know what what <laughs> inspires government to action? Who are the who, exactly. who influences government? Who yeah, right? You know, is it is it the poor people yeah. without access to water or Anyway, I'll just dot, dot, dot. You get where I'm going. <laughs> I think everybody with a, a portion of a brain can figure out the rest of that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, so, no. so, Mark, so, so Mark yeah, you spent uh, uh, a lot of time in, in Asia. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, you know, this has been really formative in my life experience. I, I mentioned a couple of places where I'm living or grew up, but I, uh, I spent most of the last two decades in Southeast Asia, uh, in the Philippines, okay, um, and uh, which, among other things, exports a lot of people. Uh, there are a lot of uh, Filipino Americans, uh, a lot of Filipino Canadians uh, who have moved over time, um, and it's. Uh, I had a fascinating experience there. I was working for uh, an international development agency that was working not just in the Philippines but across developing Asia, and actually, my experience working in that continent. Um, was a big stimulant, I think, for my interest in foresight and, and wondering about what the future might bring. Because Asia, in the time that uh, I was out there, was going through one of the most dramatic transformations the world has ever seen. Social, technological, economic, massive transformation, fast-growing economies. Uh, the poverty rate was declining substantially a growing middle classes, people were getting on airplanes and flying to other countries, whereas before that was an aspiration they couldn't dream of. Um, so just it's, you know, we talk, when we think about Asia, a lot of times the talk centers around China because it's, it's the big influential, you know, it's a, new, it's a superpower, right? Um, right. And, but there's so much more to the region, including uh, countries of Southeast Asia. So there I include not just the Philippines and Singapore, but countries like Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, and those 10 countries that form uh, what's called ASEAN, it's a, it's a collective of Southeast Asian countries, their economy, their collective economy, uh, which is becoming more integrated, is going to be the fourth largest in the world by 2030. So we're talking a part of the world that is becoming much more uh, economically um, you know, important uh, you know, in terms of geopolitics, you know, the U.S., Japan, and China are jostling for influence in that part of the world and uh, you've got startup companies um, there was uh, there was one uh, out of Malaysia uh, that oh, maybe about 15 years ago uh, they started as a as a ride hailing app um, called grab 
uh, it started in, in, in Malaysia, and uh, in April of this year, uh, it announced that it was uh, through um, you know investments and, and, and fundraising they were about to become a forty billion dollar company. Uh, they've become so huge. There's a, there's a great story I, I enjoy. I have to say every once in a while, in moderation, I enjoy a little bit of single malt. Okay, I I admit that right. Um, and uh, the the part of the world that's famous for single malt is Scotland. And so there's a there's a uh, one of the many distilleries there is called Jura. It was set up in 1810 by the Scots. It is today wow. owned by a holding company that is Filipino. Okay. So what I'm trying to convey to you, Lamont, is that um, Asia's influence in the world is growing dramatically. I'm just talking about the economic side. We could talk about entertainment and culture, from movies to K-pop. You know, we've been buying. Japanese cars and Korean cars for years. And that kind of influence in America is going to continue to increase in the years ahead. Um, and so that's, that's one of the big trends that I, I follow comes obviously from spending time out there. Why that, that was brought by another question for you. Why do you think America's actually um, sleeping on that? You know, it appears that they spend so much time um, watching uh, the television and formulating their own opinions, and they haven't even left their backyard yet. You know, they just they just see one <laughs> picture. You know, because they haven't traveled. You know, that's what I'm saying. They haven't even left their backyard yet. So how do they form so many different opinions on, you know, uh, China and, and Asia and some other countries? You know, it's just kind of mind-boggling if you think about that. You know, so it, it's great to talk to someone like yourself that's actually been there. That's um, Emerged in the economy and really know what's really going on because I see it too and I understand it because I'm a I'm a I'm a techie kind of guy and I'm always looking at the new toys that's coming from that part of the world. Yeah, and I mean if we talk, for example, about uh, electric cars, right? So our future, come on, to the to the extent that we're going to be owning cars, uh, they're going to be electric. It's it's happening. It's happening really really fast, right? And uh, you know the most uh, the country with the most uh, e buses like for city transport that's China. I mean they're, they're you know they're they're investing very heavily in this next generation of vehicles. The U.S. is getting around to it. The big players like GM and Ford, the, both of them have announced uh, programs of investment of over twenty billion dollars each and transitioning to uh, e fleets. Uh, but this comes, you know, after the lead of China, not the U.S., and actually Europe is ahead of the U.S. as well. Oh, yeah, I, I know that because, I mean, I've traveled in Europe, you know, many, many, you know, years ago, and that's when everybody was having cell phones. And I noticed that uh, people in Europe had free cell phones, you know, when uh, the people here in the U.S., you know, maybe uh, two out of five even had a cell phone. Mm. So, you mm. know. It was just amazing, you know, the technology that's available in other parts of the world. But, again, if you don't leave out of your backyard, you really won't know until you know. Yeah, maybe part of that is, uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, is, you know, people who grew up in the States, they may have traveled a little bit or not much at all. They're on this giant economy, which for, you know, after World War II was the biggest. It was the largest, most influential economy and, and country in the world, right? And so you got this huge continent, and you can, you can, you know, immigrate to another state, you know, on this huge continent, and and you know, work there. And uh, so it's 
kind of got used to the U.S. being number one at everything, right? Uh, it's kind of hard to believe that countries that not that long ago were really, really poor, uh, you know, in the 60s, uh, the, the lifespan of the average Asian in a developing country was not very high. And the figures on, on uh, maternal mortality, child mortality, hunger, et cetera, et cetera, you know, they were very disturbingly high. And uh, for a variety of reasons, and, you know, countries across that continent uh, have motivated them. Tim, what happened? Did we lose you? Bart, did we lose you? Hello? Hello? Ah, ladies and gentlemen, I think we may have a little bit of a technical difficulty here. Hopefully, uh, I guess we'll call back uh, shortly. We're talking to Bart Edis um, about how COVID changed our lives for good. And, you know, we touched a little bit on uh, some of the negative things, of course, and, and that's part of reality. You know, you can't get part of that, and you have to know where you've been in order to know where you're going. Uh, and that's certainly... You know the case here, but uh, and if you just join the show, if you just join the show, please, please uh, be aware that you can hear the whole show in its entirety in a few, few, few moments. Uh, Bart, are you back? Hey, Lamont. Yes. I am, and I apologize to you and our audience for checking out there. That's a little bit of tech, uh, tech difficulty. We're talking about Asia. And uh, how technologically sophisticated much of that region as well. I guess I'm not that uh, tech savvy at the moment. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. We understand things happen, and you uh, a long way away. So that's part of the things we're talking about: the technology and how things happen. And you know, I'm one of those guys that remember, you know, a two-track player, four-track, six-track, eight-track. You know, 24, 32, 64, you know, the music industry, you know, to watch technology change, you know. And I hate one of the things that uh, kind of went away that uh, we kind of came back but not really came back, you know, and I'm looking at our, our government leaders and uh, our city congressmen and all that. They took out a lot of music programs in our schools, and we have a lot more tech-savvy, computer-savvy um students than we do musicians so i kind of like hate that and then for us are our, our really senior musicians you know a lot of those aren't really tech savvy and like you mentioned earlier about how technology and the whole digital thing uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more than that you know and i'm kind of sad in a way um because of that because i know a lot of people have missed uh that learning curve but then I'm happy in another way because we got a whole another part of the world that wasn't very computer literate. They they have to step up their game, you know, with Zoom and a lot of other ways that they communicate. So anyway, I just want to throw that little two bits in there. Well, and I have to agree with you about uh, the loss of of music programs. Speaking more generally about art and, and cultural aspects and and uh, schools. Uh, yeah, obviously it's important to learn, you know, language and math and science and history. But what about the music? I mean, that's a part of uh, all our lives. It's, uh, yeah. So I'm with you. I have uh, in my family, I have uh, musicians uh, who have dabbled professionally, and so and uh, it's it's become harder, not easier, 
uh, to make a living in, in the business, I think, but you would know better than me. Oh, well, like I said, like I said, it just made them step up there, that learning curve in terms of how to, you know, do the auditions uh, virtually, play virtually, you know, and opposed to how it, you know, it used to be you can't do that. And I know a lot of people have been doing, you know, concerts that way. They've been forced to find yeah. other ways to, to continue. And that's one thing like the pandemic did, you know, it did to me. It made me start looking more at that man in the mirror because we did tend to take a lot more for granted uh, before the pandemic. But, you know, when everything kind of shut down and you had a lot of time on your hands and you started trying to figure out uh, what you're going to do with that time, you know, and still be um, productive, you know. So it, it made you get rid of a lot of stuff and adopt, adapt to especially if you're true survivalists, you know, it made you adapt to other ways to try to continue and, and forge ahead. So, Yeah, you got me thinking there, Lamont, about some other changes we may be seeing, you know. Um, there was a lot of reflection going on when people weren't stressing out, and a lot of people have been stressing out about what matters, right, you know, what's important, and including uh, human beings' relationship with nature, with the environment. I mean, something was off balance. Right. We've got this, this virus spreading uh, amongst us. Right. And um, there's something off balance. Uh, and, and it's been the case even before the pandemic for a while. Um, you know, we talk about extinction of species or deforestation, the pollution of the environment and the bigger challenge of, of climate change. And, um, you know, as tourism begins to come back, including international tourism, and it's going to be a, a little while before borders are completely open us up. I think you're going to be finding people seeking uh, more of nature. There, there's been some anecdotal uh, you know, data on that already. Um, and uh, for those who have the means um, to, say, uh, buy a plot of land or something outside the city, city dwellers who uh, you know, want to move to uh, you know, have a cottage or, or something in the, in, in the more rural area, um, I know where I'm living, just as an example, um, and I'm not part of this group going off and, and, and buying a place, but I see, I see people doing it, and the prices are soaring. Um, and I think it's part of this trend of, of people wanting um, to, to reconnect with nature, to get away from the kind of um, the, the, the rat race. Um, and this is reflected in other things, too. A lot of people, like in the hospitality business, they talk about the great resignation, a lot of people quitting their jobs, they don't want to go back, or those who have the luxury of being able to work remotely, you know, digital nomads. Um, they're going off to more pleasant surroundings, maybe saving some money, uh, for example, leaving expensive Silicon Valley to live in a place where there's nature, mountains, or, or seaside that's not uh, as expensive around the, the bay. So uh, just to say that, you know, this uh, <laughs> finding greater meaning, there's, there's some of that going on right now, uh, and people not just wanting to accept that the way we worked, for example, and lived before was exactly the way we want to work and live. Um, going forward. Bart, they had to slow down, take time, and smell the roses. Because I, I, I guess, well, I, know, you know, I, I, guess uh, I guess they're seeing that, you know, it, it, this thing we call life is so fleeting. And uh, I think that's an undercurrent to a lot of that stuff, too. You do want to get away. It does make you um, think a little smarter, you know, on how to enjoy you know, what's left within this situation. Yeah. 
That's true. Uh, and I th- you're also seeing that a little bit in the way, in the behavior of, uh, of consumers. So, for example, there's a growing popularity of, of um, meatless options. So, like, uh, you know, Beyond Meat and such, these products that are uh, not meat, but they simulate it for those who, who were not vegetarian or vegan. Um, but some of them are thinking, yeah, well, this might be better for the environment and better for me. Um, wow. I think this, uh, this pandemic, uh, you know, one of the other things that come out of it is um, increased attention to sustainability. And so this is, this is where uh, I identify myself as, as somebody with a glass is half full. I think we've done some damage and we're going to consider to, we're going to continue to see uh, the kinds of impacts on the environment that we've been seeing, unfortunately, because of past actions. Um, and I refer to, for example, you know, these, these crazy record temperatures uh, in the Pacific Northwest, the, the massive flooding we've seen in Germany and, and Belgium that's killed nearly 200 people. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of bad things have happened, but there's also um, a sense that we need to make some changes. And you have big, big banks, you have corporations making commitments about uh, you know, net zero targets and, and governments uh, uh, taking firmer action. The EU, for example, European Union has, has just in the last few days strengthened its standards for vehicle emissions and, and the Biden administration in the U.S. is, is expected to do the same. Um, and consumers are expecting this when they, they, they want to see that they're buying products from companies that are being more responsible, not just on the environment, but in the way they govern themselves and, and their approach to, to social justice and how they treat their workforce. Um, so I do see some positive trends that I think may stick with us that may end up saving us, um, you know, if it's not in, in some senses too late given the damage done to the environment. Right. Well, you know, uh, Bart, are those some of the things that, that gives you hope for us in the, the near future? Yes, exactly. And I, I come back to like, the topic of my book, Strategic Foresight. So, you know, set of tools, you don't need to be, you know, uh, a, an expert who studied this for years. We can practice this in a small company or even in our family, uh, basically just tuning into uh, how things are changing around us and, and how these big trends might interact uh, to create different kinds of futures that on the surface we may not realize are possible. So basically doing a bit of reflection and, uh, and preparing for those uh, possible futures. Some not so bright, some brighter. Um, yeah. Hmm. Whatever don't kill us make us stronger, that's for sure. Right. So what, what what do you have next in store for you, Bart? I know, uh, are you on a book tour? Are you going out to spread the word? Are you doing any um, speaking engagements? Well, I'm doing a lot of uh, speaking engagements at the moment. So talking to recently a diplomats in the Washington area where I spent some time, Washington, D.C., uh, to, to corporate officials uh, at universities, talking about foresight and also talking about uh, what we can expect in our near-term future and our longer-term future, and where people um, don't like what they hear about what may be coming. And I'm careful to, you know, preface all this with, you know, this is not written in stone. What happens in the coming weeks and months and years, not all of that is fixed. We can change it, and that's the, that's the empowering part. If we come together and decide we want to collectively change the course of, of events, time and time again, we can see that's possible, but it's helpful to know where some of these big trends are interacting that could create a, a world, for example, uh, that's uh, in an environmental state that worse, that's worse than today, 
uh, where there's greater inequality and um, disruption, uh, where there's conflict uh, between major powers with different perspectives on, on the economy and, and, and liberty and that sort of thing. So um, I, I try to, you know, I, I'm trying to highlight the tools we can use to understand where the future might go um, uh, while highlighting the possibilities uh, to, to take action and, and actually change our course. And let me just mention there um, that an example of that comes out of San Francisco, right? So there's a nonprofit organization um, in the Bay Area that has been looking at uh, the future of, of the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, this has become one of the most uh, technologically sophisticated parts of the world. You've got Silicon Valley and all that. And so they, they came together, you know, civic leaders, business leaders, looking at what, uh, what might the Bay Area look like in the year 2070. That's pretty ambitious, 50 years ahead. Yes. And they're asking themselves, yes. you know, looking at things like the economy, housing. I mean, you can't you can hardly afford to live there unless you, you know, you're making a fortune working for a, uh, a tech company. Uh, transportation issues, you know, there's gridlock all over the place and, uh, you know, homelessness and, and major challenges. And so they are using scenarios, which are a big part of, of foresight to see, you know, what what are the different possibilities here? And some of them are not are not great. Um, but they're using that insight, right, developed by, you know, asking critical questions, bringing in a diverse group with different perspectives and, and looking at how some of these scenarios might play out and then examining, okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to change in society living in this part of North America to, to create a path for the Bay Area to achieve an economically strong, socially just, and environmentally sustainable future? And I'd really leave you with that thought. You know, and, 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 and highlight that that's something, a message I'm taking to different audiences is, you know, we have it in our power. There are these tools. Let's, let's uh, invest energy into uh, reflection on, on different possible scenarios coming about through uh, you know, different forces interacting and then uh, seize the scenario that we want and work hard uh, to achieving that together. Very well said, my friend. Very well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Very well said. So, Bart, tell everybody how they can get in contact with you, how they can get a copy of your book, and all that great information. Sure. Uh, if you type in my name, that's uh, Bart, and the last name spelled E-D-E-S, A-Dash, which is no, no way you'd know that unless you were Hungarian. So type in BART, Learning from Tomorrow. Uh, do that on Amazon.com or, or visit your local bookstore, which hopefully is reopened, uh, and you'll find the book there. Uh, and uh, as far as reaching me, uh, for those of you who are on Twitter, and if you're not, maybe you want to be, it's a good place to track trends in areas that interest you, uh, whether it be music or environment or something else. Um, go on Twitter and look up at Big Trends Guy, Big Trends Guy. Altogether, one word, and that's where I'm at, and you can reach me there, and I'd love to hear your ideas about the future and how we can together uh, formulate uh, a more um, livable, uh, sustainable, uh, and inclusive one. Bart, I had asked uh, Mr. Tim Ward a question uh, in regards to uh, his book, so I'm going to put that one out there to you as well. Uh, do you have or do you have any thoughts of uh, doing an audio book? At the moment, no. 
a variety of logistical reasons and the timing of the book, uh, which focused a lot on the, the crisis we're in presently. So, for example, it has some short-term scenarios. And I, I, could, it, I understand the value. A lot of people are using audiobooks. And let me just say that for the next book, when that comes, I could see easily weaving into that um, distribution plan an audiobook. So, but in this case, no, it's just uh, e-books um, or uh, you know hard copy. Right. Okay. I'm just thought I would ask you know for those people out there that's uh, on such a such a such a busy schedule, they don't have time to read, so they can listen to it. Sure. I understand. Yeah. I definitely understand. Yeah. Sure. Well, Bart, you, yeah. I definitely enjoyed, you know, the time we had spending. I want to open the door and, and definitely leave it open for you to come back and join us at any any time. Um, we definitely want to stay abreast of what's going on for those people uh actually have their eyes wide open and paying attention, you know, to the world. And hopefully those that are asleep and woke up during the show and some of the things that you offered uh, penetrated and give us some food for thought moving forward. So definitely, man, anytime, anytime, come back through. We'd love to have you. And um, I'm going to read your book as well so I can be a little bit brighter and a little bit more intelligent on some of the subjects and some of the things that you spoke on on the show today. Lamont, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity for joining your program, which has been doing a fantastic public service and and bringing new voices, uh, stimulating thinkers and authors, uh, uh, making their, their thoughts available to a wider audience. Uh, urge you to keep it up, and I uh, will do my small part in helping to promote awareness uh, of the program. So thanks so much. And thank you so much as well, Bart. And I want to give a shout-out to, to uh, Mr. Tim Ward for making everything possible and doing all the great things that he's doing. So with that being said, we'll see you guys next week, same time. And uh, if you missed part of the show, it'll be available worldwide in the next two minutes and if you have problems um getting the show and you know like i always say ask your mama ask your daddy ask your neighbor across the street to ask the magic gas station corner supermarket somebody will tell you where you could hear the show so you have no excuse and if all that fails you can contact the office here at 323-957-7322 because we don't want to miss this and thanks so much for joining us and Go check out White Edis. Got good stuff going on. All right. See you guys next week, same time, 2.30 PST. Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help you things understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the Christmas five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach huh? But after him who was able to possess your father by his glory Struggles might be part of your testimony but it ain't the end of the story Now the point is this was prophesied way back in the day Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate
with your shirt, say, what would Jesus do? Why you asking if he ain't trying to do what he's saying? Huh? He told you he was going to have tribulations, but you thought he was playing. Huh? One minute you tell her how good God is and can't nobody beat the talk. The next minute you backfight so fast, it's like you're moonwalking. Huh? Oh yeah, I'm preaching to myself because I ain't no better. Huh? It ain't like I've been following his every word, obeying it to the letter. But we soldiers, we got to remember that. Regroup, stay on point. Hey, yeah, bow down, confess, repent, stay humble, let him anoint. Huh? It ain't easy as I thought it was. I'd be lying if I told you that. But it's showing up getting better all the time. Trust me, that's the fact. Ain't nothing we going through that can't be handled. God put that on his tongue. Like they say, you can shout now if you want to, because the battle's already won. So while you're going through the valley, don't even trip. You're going to be on top. Quiet in your hook line no more again. This time you don't stop. I know we can Good and well, he can work it out. 